0: We, uh, we turn now to God's Word. We're working through a, a sermon series for Advent on the names of Jesus found in Isaiah 9. And so this morning we are going to look at Everlasting Father, this promise that, that Jesus is our everlasting Father. And for that, we're going to look at John chapter 14, verses 5 to 11. John chapter 14. Thomas said to to him, to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where we are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have some really good friends uh, for the last 20 years or so, and it's, it's three sisters and I've uh, been, been friends with all of them, and they had a tragedy in their life when they were very young. Their father, uh, while he was in graduate school at the University of Michigan, he came down with cancer, and he passed away when he was 34 years old. And he left behind three daughters, aged five, three, and newborn. So they have lived their entire lives without knowing their earthly father. What, what would that be like? Never to have any memories of or to even know your earthly father. And they were raised in, in a good church, in a good community, in the Christian Reformed Church there. And they were nurtured you know, by their church and in Sunday school and in youth group and surrounded uh, by extended family, you know, uh, surrogate fathers and uncles. And um, their mother is obviously amazing. <laughs> she played the role of, of two parents for, you know, 18 years and beyond. And these young women have grown up to be anything that you would want in, in a child. You know, to be successful and to be uh, intelligent and to be wise and to love Jesus and be involved in, in a church. And I don't know all the ins and outs. We're very good friends, but I wasn't there through that process. But I have the strong sense that because they knew their Heavenly Father, because they knew that they had a Father that cared for them, that was more powerful than any earthly father, that because they knew the promises of God and all that God is, they were able to navigate that and walk through that and and live this life of following Jesus. There was this understanding that if if you have God the Father, if you have Him as the foundation of your life, the rock in your life, You have everything. You have everything. Jesus is the everlasting Father that we were created for. Jesus is the everlasting Father that that we're all searching for and looking for. Uh, You know, his, His love, His guidance, His protection. That is why we were made, to be in relationship with a Father who knows us, who cares for us, who walks alongside of us. So let's think about these, these passages. And I'm gonna, I am going to jump around a little bit because I want to open up the book of Isaiah for you a little bit as well as John 14. And just as a reminder, uh, Gabe led, read that passage earlier, you know, from Isaiah chapter 9. That this, this promise, this whole series that we're going through. Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. All those promises. Well, when that promise was given, Isaiah was, Isaiah was speaking and teaching in this terrible time for Israel. It was the context of exile. You know, they were banished. They were kicked out from their homeland. Jerusalem was destroyed. And so really, their their way of life and their understanding about God was shaken to the core. The place that they could go and worship God, the temple, it wasn't there anymore. It had been ransacked and destroyed. and They were living somewhere they didn't want to live. And it was a dark time. And yet, the promise comes in Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those that have dwelt in a land of darkness, on them has light shone. Light has come. They felt like they were were orphans. And think about the, the context. I mean, if you lost your father in that time, you were basically an orphan. That's how they looked at it. And what does the Bible say again and again about the widow and the orphan and the alien, you know, the stranger in our midst? There's this call that the people of God will take care of them, will take care of the widow and the orphan. And that's, that's what we do. Because they were so vulnerable, because they were all alone, because they didn't have a father. Their definition of a father was it was somewhat similar to ours and yet it was really different too. Their, their definition of a father was someone who was a provider. You know, someone who gave things to to them. And that's kind of a traditional understanding of a father. You know, what you need to survive, <laughs> a roof over your head, food on your table. You know, your, your crops to produce grain and food for you. That's what they look to God for. God, their Father, that's what He provides. But there's also this understanding that I think we have sort of lost in our culture of a father that is compassionate. Think about what, what Pam read for us in the confession this morning, that as a father has compassion on his children... The Lord has compassion on us, so it's this idea of a father that's nurturing, that's warm, that's that's passionate, and that's compassionate, that's forgiving and graceful. I was thinking about this. You know, we have an understanding of men in our culture and of, of fathers, and sometimes, uh, you know, we can make them out to be not passionate not compassionate um not all these things when i was had the opportunity to visit my uh, cousins in greece and i saw you know my mom's cousins the way that the the men treated each other with such passion and and uh they you know they they go up to each other and they kiss each other on the cheeks a couple times and i was feeling pretty uncomfortable about this like do you want me to kiss these guys on the cheeks too and i mean they're greek so they got stubble like all the time you know, By 5 o'clock shadow, it's like a 10 a.m. shadow. and like, like, who wants to kiss? Who wants to kiss a bearded face? I mean, really? Come on. But the, they're, they're compassionate. And that's kind of that Mediterranean, Middle Eastern culture. That's how they looked at their father for, uh, for that. And then, uh, then their father is taken away. And even when we look at John... Along comes the, the disciples, and they've been walking with Jesus for three years, and they come to him, and they sort of say the same things that their ancestors said so many hundreds of years ago. Where's our Father? Is God still our Father? They're searching for their ultimate Father, that ultimate source of provision and compassion and grace. And is Jesus really that person? I mean, after all this, this is the end of Jesus' ministry. He's about to go to the cross. He's been walking with them for three years, and still, Philip says to them, just show us the Father. If we see him, then we'll believe in you. Come on. They want to be like Moses. They want to be like Moses. They want to see God. And yet, even God said to Moses in Exodus 33, you can't see me and live. You can't even see me and live. No one can see God. And yet, that's the understanding, and yet they've been walking with God in the flesh for the last three years. And Jesus says this incredible thing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. God in the flesh. Incredible. How? How? Let me let me remind us what John 14 says here. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And that the Father is in me. So Jesus is making this radical claim. This incredible idea that the creator, the one that made all the heavens and the galaxies and everything that we can ever see, the eternal, everlasting Father, and Jesus are one. They're one. Do you understand what a claim that is? I mean, it's kind of like that, that song that, that Elise and Erica just sang. Don't, don't domesticate Christmas. Don't pretend it's something that it's not. Don't clean it up. Don't sanitize it. This is Jesus claiming to be God in the flesh, claiming to be the everlasting Father. You know, people walk around mental hospitals all the time and say, I'm God. I'm Mary. I'm Jesus. C.S. Lewis said that the argument of Christianity boils down to do you believe that Jesus was a liar or a lunatic or the Lord? And C.S. Lewis, one of the most brilliant men who walked this earth in the 20th century said, he is Lord. I will bow down to him. He is not a liar. He is not a lunatic. He's my Lord. The The rock star, I'm going to go in a little different direction here, the rock star Bono of U2, he has some thoughts on the miracle of Christmas, and we're going to watch a little video of what he has to say, but what I love about this, I'm going to set it up a little bit for you, is that the old, stodgy, British journalist who's asking him all these questions, he was the kind of person that we would assume was a church-going, believing Christian you know, in the 1950s or 1960s. And the rock star, the guy who's been playing guitar all his life, the guy who's dancing around on stage every night, he's the rebel. He's the one that's never in church. Well, isn't it interesting that our world has sort of flipped? And Bono realizes that the most rebellious thing in the world is to be a follower of Jesus. To go against the tide to say, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So... The old British guy is the skeptic and Bono's the believer. And by the way, he's been married to his wife, Allison for 37 years. Amazing. Let's watch this one-minute clip here about Jesus. What time I out, time out, time out. Put on the closed caption because you know those accents. If you hit that CC button. Thank you.
1: was Jesus as far as you're concerned. I think it's the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ, and and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God. Or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth, for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired some nutter I just I don't believe it I, so I therefore it follows that you believe he was divine yes and therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead yes yeah I'm into, uh, I mean no problem with miracles <laughs> I'm living around them I am one so so when you pray then you pray to Jesus yes the risen Jesus yes and you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do.
0: Jesus is that the everlasting Father that we have been searching for. Uh, the one that our hearts were were made for. God the Father. If you want to know what he looks like, you just look at Jesus. Uh, we have a tendency to separate the Old Testament God from Jesus. And yet, Jesus is saying no. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three in one. We, we, if we want to look and see how God the Father treats you know, sinners and outcasts and people that were thrown out of the church and people that are sick of religion, look at how Jesus treats them. Look at how he treated the the woman at the well. Look at how he treated the woman caught in adultery. Look at the the grace that showered upon them. If you want to see God's compassionate heart, look at Jesus and the way that he treated people. And it's it's not just for them. It's not just for the people in the Bible. It's for me and for you. You know, when we mess up, when we, when we make a mess of our lives, and if you want to see how God the Father treats stuffy people, religious people, hypocrites, Pharisees, that look down on everyone, look at Jesus. He challenged. He challenged them. Come home. Stop looking at your church attendance or your tithing. Or your good works, and think that that earns your way to God. Jesus said, "Come home." Jesus said, "I desire mercy, not sacrifice." We we live in these times when we we struggle with this. We struggle. You know, is God really there? Is God the Father there? We live in these kind of orphaned times and there's no time like today when our culture needs to know that we have a Father. We have a Father in Heaven that loves us. Um, I'm going to share a couple statistics about, you know, literal fatherlessness and I want to say this with a caveat because and. Think of, think of my friends, think of the friends that I mentioned, you know, that I mentioned at the beginning that if you have your Heavenly Father, you have everything. But if you grow up without a father, there's going to be things to, to overcome. And it's an acknowledgement, it's an acknowledgement. These statistics I'm going to share are, are an acknowledgement of the pain that people are walking around because they grew up without a father. And yet it's also, it's an opportunity because that call that God gives us to serve the widows and the orphans is the same today. So we get to stand in and be the mentors and be that, that family to people that are looking for it. These are a couple statistics from the National Fatherhood Initiative. One in four children in the U.S. today live without a father in the home. Children who grow up with a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crimes. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. Nine times more likely to drop out of school. And 20 times more likely to end up in prison. And it's a, it's a societal issue as the family has, has uh, crumbled. And as people, as people have drifted away from God's intention for marriage and family and sex this has really been the result. And it's absolutely heartbreaking when you think about it. Because we had this idea 40, 50 years ago that sex is no big deal. You know, just have sex with with anybody. If you you care about them, that's fine. We want freedom. Don't tell us what to do. And now we are reaping what we've sown. God says it is a big deal. That it does matter who who we sleep with. Uh, there's a wonderful book, some of you are going to think this is funny or, or write me an email about it this week, but Dan Allender, an incredible counselor, Christian counselor, seminary president, he wrote a book a couple years ago called God Loves Sex. We've taken this view, we've forgotten that, and we've taken this view and we've made it so much lower than God's intention for it, which is within commitment and marriage and lifelong bond, and It's incredible. And yet, this is this, we thought we were setting ourselves free. And this is what we've ended up with. A culture that's just decimated. And it's not only literally fatherless, but it's spiritually fatherless. Because it translates to our walk with God. And many people profess to be Christians, but they live like they don't have a father. You know, if, the, if Jesus is our Father, our everlasting Father, and He's going to provide for us, then why do we worry? Why do we worry so much about money, time? Why do we work ourselves to the bone to make a little bit of extra money? And, you know, our family suffers, our church life and our spiritual walk suffers. Why do we do those things? If, if God is compassionate, like Jesus said He is, then why can't we forgive ourselves? Why can't we extend grace to other people? This is what I struggle with. This is what I wrestle with. I'm preaching to myself right now. If God is that everlasting Father that we've been looking for, how would that change our lives? Because the grace, <clears throat> the grace is for us. The grace is active in our world today. Today. The point of Jesus' teaching in John 9 is this. That you have an everlasting father. No matter what. No matter what. I mean, there are those of us in this room that we've lost our fathers. And they're not here on this earth anymore. And we, and we miss them and we long for them. Or they were never there. They were never there. We have others in this room who were let down, disappointed again and again by our fathers. And then we have a a group of men who feel regret or maybe even shame that we weren't the fathers that we should have been or could have been, that we didn't take on this calling that God gave us. In those three categories, I mean, that's basically all of us, unless... You know, you're a woman that had a perfect father. But there's grace. There's grace for that brokenness, those broken families and that, and that desire. Um, you know, there's, there is uh, that scene from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and I put this on Facebook if you want to watch it, but it's this incredible scene where uh, the main character, you know, Will Smith, he's this famous actor now. You know, he hasn't had a father. That's why he lives with his aunt and uncle. But the father comes back in and kind of wants to make up for everything. But then he leaves. And it's an an incredible scene because he's angry. He's angry that he wasn't there for him all those years. Fifteen years, he hasn't been there. But then the anger turns to weeping. The anger turns to weeping. And he falls into his uncle's arms. And he says, why don't he want me, man? Why don't he want me? Why doesn't my own dad want me? Heartbreaking. And yet, I think inside all of us, there's this little kid that says, does God want me or not? Is there someone that's there for me? Do I have a protector? Do I have someone who acknowledges me, who cares about me? Do I have someone who's not just a provider, but is also compassionate and forgiving and loving? And the gospel tells us We have a Father that wants us. We have a Father that has chosen us. We have a Father that has called us. We have a Father that has redeemed us. He's chosen us. He's chosen us because He wants us. He wants us. He desires to be in a relationship with us. And Jesus says all these amazing things in John 14, 15, 16. I'd encourage you to go back and read it this week. He says all these incredible things. He says, you know, we don't need to be afraid anymore. We don't need to be worried. I'm going to take care of you. But after all that, he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross. And that was love. That's how much he wants us. That's how much he's done for us. And he's, he's going through all that, all that physical agony, all that spiritual agony, to make us his children and to defeat the one that they call the father of lies. Isn't that interesting that the devil is called the father of lies? He wants us to believe that we're not chosen, that we don't have a father. And yet Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes in and tells us and reminds us and speaks to us every morning, you're mine. You're mine. You're part of my family. I died on the cross for you to make you part of this. Reconciling families and bringing us to a new heavens and a new earth where everything will be renewed. That everything, all the trouble, all the broken families going back to Adam and Eve will be restored. And that's what our hearts long for. The eternal Everlasting Father. Jesus wants us to walk every day with our Father, with our everlasting Father that's there for us, that loves us, that is compassion, that's a provider. And Jesus was that. He did that for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love for your people. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the way that you showed us what God the Father is really like. As we walk through this Advent and Christmas season, Lord, may we not take this for granted. May we not sanitize the story. May we remember what you did and who you are and your incredible, incredible love for your people. That you would call us your children. All the decisions that we have to make, all the things that we have to do this week, show us what it means not to live as orphans, but to live as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.